we're back today we have christopher chayan with us uh christopher is the ceo of chris is the ceo of gatherly so gatherly is different from most video uh video platforms video chat platforms in which it gives a more complete virtual ex uh, event experience having used this it really i find i find it really different from zoom where it it is more engaging and more personalized with the people you meet and the people you want to meet and is much more seamless than other platforms i've used so hey chris how are you doing how's guy really going thank you. thank you for having me on today i really appreciate it so just for our audience this is a, i gave a small intro into gatherly how what is gatherly what what would you call you know in one line a couple of lines what would you call gatherly how would you describe gatherly yeah, absolutely. So I, I think like, you know, we're, we're on Google Meets right now, you know, Zoom, BlueJeans, all that kind of stuff. It's really good for conference calls. Gatherly really focuses on conferences and the niche difference between the two. The other thing I would note is that we really focus on the idea of when you come to an event or a conference, you're not looking to talk to everybody at once. You're probably looking to talk to more of like a pocket of people or a huddle. That's how we try and enable virtual conferences by really zoning in on that aspect of a virtual, or excuse me, in-person event. Yeah, that makes sense. So the idea of Gatherly came to you about when COVID started or was it something that you were working from like before you even knew about COVID? Yeah, we were actually working on a different startup. We were a pivot company. Um, we were working on a, on a hardware retail product that, you know, was very much dashed by COVID's onset. Uh, our our pre-seed investor at the time was thrilled that we were switching from a hardware to software product. And, you know, like my, my co-founder, funny enough, tells the story better than I do, but he, um, you know, he, he was at my virtual birthday party because I have, I have an early April birthday. COVID hit in like what, like mid-March. So, you know, my birthday moves to Zoom. Uh, he makes fun of me because, you know, the birthday party ended in about 10 minutes. Like everybody was on the call. You know, everyone drops off the call like the next, you know, like 10 minutes after saying happy birthday and leaving, right? Whether or not this is a function of it being my birthday party or a Zoom birthday party, um, I don't know. Let's, you know, for my, for my sake, I'll say it's a Zoom birthday party effect. Um, but you know, we, we talked to people and, and they related heavily. It was such a weird experience. It's not, it's not what you usually see. And it's, it's very like, it's unnatural. Right. And then what we did was we leaned on like a conference analogy of like hotel rooms, for example, or excuse me, hotel lobbies where we said, Hey, like when you walk into that hotel lobby, you don't see 300 people staring at you. You go into these smaller, like I said earlier, huddles of conversations and bounce back and forth between them to be able to interact with who you want, when you want, and you have that little bit of spontaneity added into it. So we wanted to translate that into software and offer a better experience. So that's that's how the idea of Gatherly really came about. So I think both of us are working on a uh, startup too, where we are very much into personalized communities and online communities yeah. being designed in a much more humane way and personalized way where people know each other better. So I just see that, that as a more permanent thing than what we are trying to do, but here, for those 30 or 45 minutes that you meet people, you really want to get to know them better rather than just speak to them in a huge group for just five minutes. You you just see five people, 10 people, and you really don't know whom to approach, whom you can really connect with. So is that what you're trying to get to the, with Gatherly uh, too? And what is the behind thinking? Like when you say, yeah, I want to get people closer. I want people to have uh, enough time to meet each other. What's the reasoning behind that? Is there anything that you've experienced in your lives in meetings that's promoted that or initiated that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, I think it's just the, the mere experience of like the, the virtual event, right? Like, you know, I gave the birthday party example. Another example I might have is a senior send off that I was at with a, with a good friend of mine from school. There were about 80 people on that call. 
So I was trying to say goodbye to that one senior in particular. It was such an awkward experience, right? Like I'm saying goodbye, it's supposed to be personalized. There's 78 other eyeballs watching me say goodbye to this one guy. Made for an incredibly awkward experience. Whereas in person, I'd walk up to him, you know, throw my hand on his shoulder, say like, hey, congratulations, man. Like, good work on graduating. You know, you're, off, you're off to your next step, right? It's, it's so hard to do that in, in a Zoom call because it's just not what it's built for, right? And I'm not saying Zoom isn't a great technology. It's wonderful for what it's built for. We wanted to go ahead and start building something for that. And then what you were asking about with the behind the scenes thinking, it's funny, like the way that we actually started our sales and getting things together was I realized very quickly, like, hey, this would be a great tool for recruiting, right? Whether it's consulting, banking, private equity, any of those industries where you see a traditional recruiting room where they bring in their, you know, like their speaker, they give a quick presentation and then send their analysts or employees to different corners of the room. And students, like whether it's engineering, software, finance, whatever it might be, will go to those different corners and talk to those who are like, you know, relevant to them, right? The analogy I gave was actually another, yet another uh, Zoom recruiting event that I was at, unrelated to, you know, like Gatherly at the time. And I remember it was a private equity recruiting um, event. There was one guy from Atlanta, right? This is a, this is a Philly fund. Um, and there's this one guy from Atlanta. And at any other, any other private equity event or like some, any kind of recruiting event, I would have walked up to him after the conference or the, the event and said, oh my gosh, where in Atlanta are you from? Where'd you go to high school? All that fun stuff, right? Didn't happen. I'm not going to be the guy who raises my hand and asks that in the middle of like a 45 person audience, right? <laughs> it's just not going to happen. So the way that we went ahead and started really pitching this was I went to every single recruiting event that I could find, emailed the recruiter afterwards and said, hey, how was that virtual event for you? Was it good? Like, did you have fun with that? Nine times out of 10, the answer is no, right? However, the follow on question was, do you want to continue hosting virtual events? And they said, if we can figure it out, this is going to be a massive time saver. This is going to be a massive money saver. And we're going to be able to reach tons of more audiences. So that's when we were like, okay, if we can solve this problem, then it'll be really, really great, right? Like we have a market. That makes sense. So now that I see like the idea came in late April or like mid April. So what was your first iteration of the product? And what do you think? Like, what could you offer in like the first bootstrap version with no funding or maybe what technical expertise you had or maybe your co-founders had? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. We actually have a copy of our MVP live um, on, a, on a private server. Um, you usually I'd like share screen it, but I, I know we're on an audio podcast, so it's a little bit harder to do that. But at a super high level, it looked like a website out of 2001. Like it was, you know, the, the most bare bones, ugly website you can imagine, but it worked, right? And you know, it had tons of bugs, but the base principle came through, showed it to a bunch of our friends, you know, tentatively showed it to a couple of the recruiters that like, you know, we were talking to that were super excited about the idea. And one of my buddies from school actually approached me and said, I will pay you 15 bucks right now to get to use this next week. That's when it's like, okay, great, we can iterate the next version, right? Like, I mean, not that every product will get money right away, but that was a, you know, like great, great, great green light to go off and run with this product, right? So I also know I was just going through your LinkedIn. I also know that you were at Wharton and stuff. So how, yeah. how did your education at Wharton end? So often when I speak to entrepreneurs now, they often say that everything they're doing right now is more of self-learning than something they've learned at college or something that's come about through normal structured learning. So how or how did not your learning at Wharton help you or uh, shape you up for what's happening with Galilee now and you moved from Boston to Atlanta, the entire shift, how's it? Yeah, well actually, um, I, I've been in Atlanta my most of my entire life, right? Okay. So I was in for, Philly for school and then in Atlanta most of my life. Um, but no, it's, it's a great question, right? Like I'm a little bit more sympathetic to, to the education that I got, right? Like I'm, you know, very blessed to have had the opportunity um, to go to a school like Wharton, and and I've learned quite a bit. 
And I think the way I, I talked about this in a, on a, with another guy recently, um, the way that I, I bifurcated it, right, was I think the, the technical skills that I picked up are invaluable, right? Like an investor asks me, hey, can you make a financial model? I know how to build a financial model, right? Like I don't need to spend the time looking up like, okay, how do I code the Excel thing together? Like I can throw that together, right? A little bit more of the soft skills are a little less relevant for my industry, right? Like the best example I have is a, um, what was it? Like a, a bankruptcy class, right? I hope to God I don't have to do a bankruptcy like with Gatherly, right? Like I hope those skills do not come into play. But, but the Excel skills that I learned in that class are invaluable, right? Like everything I learned in that class and how to build that spreadsheet, how to build the bankruptcy model, I use all of that, right? Like every, every single minor technical detail there. An accounting class, for example, right? Like in a separate accounting class, like I'm not managing like billions of dollars in assets yet. You know, like yeah, fingers crossed one day, knock on wood, right? That, that kind of stuff. But like that's, that's not what I'm managing now, right? So like the takeaway isn't that, but being able to read a balance sheet, income statement, that kind of stuff, it, it makes my life 10 times easier because I don't need to sit down and Google all of it, right? And even if I did, like, it's like, oh, I kind of get the, the background. I also am fortunate to have taken a number of like VC classes um, as well. So, you know, understanding like, oh, okay, like the VC might have this perspective when coming in to like evaluate our startup was a little bit helpful. I regret not taking more classes now looking back, but hey, you know, I guess, I guess Gatherly is my class now for that. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. Now that like as CS majors at tech, like we really, like we really want to self-learn and understand a lot of stuff that classes definitely help. That's kind of a different perspective than what we, than the conversation that we are having these days. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. So my, my next question would be, uh, we changed paths a bit, but let's see. So you iterated your first product, like whatever timeline it had, then the person said like, he, he was he was willing to offer you fifteen dollars for the product if you shipped it, shipped it to him next week. Then what happened? Like when did you start building the next version of the product, and how did it hit the market? And what was that like culmination point? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really good question. So you know, we 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 had like they wanted to bring what was it like forty people onto that server, right? Like our server could only hold twenty people, so we're like, all right, crap, like we need, like like all right, you know, it's it's fifteen bucks is on the line. We need to you know like throw something together, right? Um, so we, we started like working, yeah, like uh, my, my co-founder at the time did a really great job of putting it together. Um, like I'm more on the business side. So I like, what I had to put in $15 line item into our bank account. Like it was like, like I had the easy job there. Like I, I get to talk about it. Yeah. I should have worked on it. Um, but you know, he, he threw that together. It was still buggy. Like it was crazy buggy. The, the group that used us, um, they're, they're called mask and wig at Penn, they're a theater group. Um, they, they were so kind. They gave us so much product feedback. Right. They gave us tons of tons of product feedback on like where things work, what they wish they had, what didn't work. And then from there, it was just emailing as many people as possible. Right. So um, we was, we started with that personal network or the recruiting calls that I mentioned to our recruiters. Hey, was this a good event for you, et cetera. Get that product feedback as well. And then going off and like, you know, buying email lists, right? Like, oh, like let's email like every like, you know, career services office at, at, at the top like 500 universities to see if they have the budget to, to afford this. Right. Even if we didn't get the like, even if we didn't get a sale, what came out of it was, hey, here are the four reasons why I won't use it. And if you heard those four reasons, like you know, ten times, great, we we found a new feature to build, right? So I'd say our real sales really started in about July of last year, and that's when we started like really ramping up and like getting to uh, get, getting to like serious sales, and that would be what I'd call like the culmination point. Very well, very well. So with with the pandemic uh, approaching, I've, I've seen, I feel a lot of the way we look at technologies and the and what technologies have appeared and emerged have really changed the parts changed a bit it's altered from where it was pre-covid and i yeah. think 
there's been a huge boom in online communities and video platforms and how people interact with each other and a lot of consumer social products that are uh, coming up nowadays so where do you think this will head do you have do you see i mean in general not just video platforms where do you think the rise of online communities and where this path will lead to and whether it ends now after the pandemic gets over or how is it yeah well i'm i'm very bullish on events in general and virtual events and communities post covid right like more like two best examples i have of this are actually two uh, higher education folks one was if i recall correctly um one of the directors of alumni events at uh, umass amherst her her quote that i'm totally stealing that she told me on a call once was look after the pandemic if you don't offer a virtual option in conjunction with your in person option you're basically running a diner that has no vegetarian options it's, it just doesn't make sense right the other analogy that i have or the other anecdote that i have is i was talking to a head of admissions at um one of the top universities in the south and after ch- chatting with them this is just the mba admissions department by the way i was just asking them hey like how many events did you run in 2019? And they said we ran 50 in-person events, so about event an event a week. It was great. Um and you know my mind goes, wow, an event a week. That's that's a really really intense user, right? Like I, I can only imagine that this would be amazing. The follow-up question was, all right, how many did you run in 2020? And she goes 300. And you know like my chat drops and I'm like you made 300 virtual events in 2020. So, you know, like like it, it's a very good like indicator that this this is not going away anytime soon, right? This is this is going to continue for long after COVID. Yes, the volume may drop initially. I hope it does, right? Like I gave I think I gave an example in another talk where I was saying like look like you you know I'm I'm not looking to get married in the next next year or so, but if I got married in uh and I had to do my my uh, my wedding on Gatherly, I'm not going to lie, I'd be pretty disappointed. <laughs> you know, like those are the kinds of events that I hope return to in person, like you know the birthday parties, the weddings, you know baby showers. Those kinds of events are going to be very very meaningful in person. I think where we add the value and what the future is is online conferences, right? Like No one's as excited uh, to like you know hop on a plane for you know your Wednesday morning, fly out to like you know Houston or you know Memphis or whatever, right? Spend a day there, get back into the plane, and like get back to your office the next morning, right? Like that's just something people you may or may not enjoy, right? Like I, n- no offense to any of these cities that I'm naming here, but the only two conference sites that I've heard people actually get excited about when I'm interviewing them and like getting customer discovery have been two different cities um, or two different places. One is Honolulu, Hawaii, and the other is Las Vegas, right? Like, like those are the two places people are really excited to go. When it's like, oh, I'm going to another New York trip. I'm not going to be able to enjoy New York. I'll be like, you know, like at the conference and then flying back. That's where it starts to get a little bit lackluster, and that's where the virtual events and virtual communities come into play. So you don't have to fly out there. That's where I think the you know the future is headed. Yeah, so pretty interesting. Now, like, since we're heading to a parallel conversation with me asking you about Gatherly and Abhirat. coming in and talking about the real world i think the structure is going pretty well so let's see so now you launched gatherly in july i i personally used gatherly for the first time in august so that was a pretty like intense round so so you launched it in july and you make it available for like customers or everybody or maybe i was just an early user you make it available for customers so like so so fast so what was the uh, game plan there and what do you think while releasing it to customer and releasing it to a larger audience. Yeah, I look I'm I'm directly going to steal Mark Zuckerberg here. Zuckerberg's big philosophy is like if you wait to perfect your product before you get in the hands of your customer, you're too late, right? My products that I'm going to ship out are going to be buggy, they're going to be mistakes, and I tell the customers that, right? I'm like, "All right, I'm going to be real like honest with you here. This platform supports like at the time, right? Back back when we first started, I'd be like, this platform supports up to 20 people. When the 21st person joins, the whole server is going to go down. Just so you know, right? Um, and there'd be like a 15 person event, so they wouldn't care, right? Like they'd be like, "Oh, great." And then you get that product feedback. That's what's so critical. Shipping out your product to your customers, getting that product feedback and then iterating on it, right? Like 
I, I think there's this like whole culture of like, oh, you know, like the best entrepreneurs are these massive visionaries that, you know, have like see the future so well. Like, I, I think, yes, like there are people like that, but the more successful entrepreneurs that I know and talk to are the ones that just listen to their customers the best. That's how you get your customer vision, right? Like that, that's like, I, I think Jeff Bezos is the best example hands down of that, where yes, the man had such a clear vision, but you could tell that vision wasn't just some, like you dreamt it up and like woke up in the morning and was like, oh, I should build, you know, like this massive e-commerce website, right? It was clearly iteration from like learning as many, as much as possible from every customer that he talked to and basically just putting together a book of product roadmap ideas from his customers. So that's why, to answer your question here, that's why we really focus on getting the product out despite the bugs, despite the things and just really getting it out to that larger audience so we can get that feedback and continuously iterate and go faster and faster. So, Chris, when coming, looking at the whole of it, right? Now you do yeah. have a good amount of competition, people, a lot of people, you have Blue Jeans, you have Google Meet, you have Zoom. And yeah, these platforms are a bit different from what Gadali is doing. But when things come back to normal, maybe at times people won't have such large conferences. At times they may have small meetings, maybe smaller. And uh, when they return back to their, like you said, there'll be remote options, but there'll be also the old way where they go back to offices. So, you know, the bigger conferences may reduce. So how do you think you're going to tackle that? Are there any iterations or different versions that you're working on? Or is there anything uh, to combat that? That's an interesting question. I think like, like my, my first reaction is like, I, I think, this is going to be a growing market, right? Like the, at a, at a super high level, it's not like there are a hundred conferences, you know, like the, the larger ones, the like 90 larger ones are going back and then the market is only 10, right? Like now that virtual events are an option and that companies know that they can do this, we're going from like a hundred to a thousand or maybe even like 10,000 conferences, right? Like at that scale. So of that, that like, you know, there's a huge growing share of the pie that's going to continue growing because virtual conferences are so much easier to host, right? They're like, like I talked to a, people who manage these events budgets and they're like, yeah, like my 500 K, you know, like events budget, I, I can hold 10 times the number of events now because they're virtual. Right. And I talked to like event planners and event hosts who at the start of pandemic thought they were completely screwed. Right. It's like, everything's going into like, you know, everything's out of in person. You're an event planner. You're like, my entire market's just gone. Right. Completely the opposite. About two weeks later, they found out that they were getting like massive demand for these virtual conferences. And they said, we're not going back. We're going to go to our clients and tell them, Hey, I know you run like one annual conference every year. Let's make it 12, um, one every month. 11 of them can be virtual. One can be in person, right? That's why the, that's why I'm not afraid of the market shrinking. To other answer your other question about the competitors, I actually don't view Zoom, BlueJeans, Google Meets as competitors. I think they play strongly in the meeting space, which again, they do very, very well at. Like I'm not, I'm not here to play in the conference call board, like board or meeting space. Where we play is the virtual event space. Well, there is their fair share of competitors, right? You're thinking like Hopin, Run the World, those kinds of folks. Like, I mean, I think Hopin just raised their Series C. Fantastic work. Like, Johnny's a great guy. I got, I got, I got the pleasure of talking to him once last summer. Remarkable, remarkable work there. So there are there are competitors. I would just not flag them as like Zoom, Blue Jeans, and those folks. Fair enough. Yeah. So, like, that was my next question. Like, since since using like Gatherly was the first event based networking platform that I personally used, yeah. then I across Run the World. Then I've come across a couple of invite-only uh, event platforms that I've used, AirMeet, Hopin, and like all the other platforms. So since since Avirat's question was like, there are, the number of conferences will decrease. I'm not trying to like ask a question. This is not a question. This is just a thinking that I have. I'm just curious what your take is. Since the number of conferences decrease in the given amount of time, or maybe there's an increase in the number of conferences just because like they increase the number, of, the frequency of conferences in the year. 
but the amount of people who are trying to delve into the space is also like crazy so what is your take on the amount of competition in in the event event like virtual event space and the number of people who are trying to build these kind of platforms and bringing it into the market Look, there's there is a lot of competition. You're not wrong, right? It's it's a it's it's a very very packed market. Um, it's a fun challenge, right? It's not it's not the challenge I expected to going in. Um, we were looking mainly at the technical challenges, like oh, how do we like build this thing so we can hold thousands of users without crashing, right? But but like going into it, yeah, there there is a lot of competition. I think the market has been segmented very well, right? Where there are specific tools for specific types of conferences. Where Hopin succeeds, I would not recommend our product. Like like I talk to our customers, right? And when I when we talk to them. We specifically ask them like what their event is about, and I will recommend Hopin sometimes if their event is more tailored towards them. Right? We very much focus on the people over podium aspect of that. Hopin is amazing at building your like you know keynote speaker that kind of stuff. I don't think you should use your keynote speech on Gatherly, right? Like I think you should do the post event networking on Gatherly, and that's where we really focus and shine, right? So when you see a lot of competition, I think like the, the one strategy is to you know pump as much money into it as possible, which Hopin has done a great job of, or to verticalize and really narrow down your audience. Which is what we're like really diving into. So that's what I say in the face of competition. Very motivated by by Steve Jobs' mentality of like, hey, you just got to build a better mousetrap at the end of the day. Well, you know, one thing that's very important for me, or uh, that factors into my event meetings that I have or event spaces that I attend online, is how you create a sort of stickiness or some kind of bond between yeah. the people you meet. I think it's very important, especially with. Obviously, when you meet a person face to face, there's a more defining moment that you have between, or defining charisma you have between, or characteristic you have between these people. But when you meet someone virtually, you really don't know a lot of stuff about them. It becomes you just see their faces and stuff like that. So, how are you trying to is there is Gatherly trying to create that stickiness or bond between uh, two different people, two strangers probably, and not people who know each other? And how do you think? that factors in on a whole as a whole and in specific gatherly and in general how do you think stickiness plays a huge role and how would you induce that in your users or people in general in online communities i'm i'm glad you bring that up right so there there's a there's a philosophy that you know like either you're building virtual events or you're building virtual communities right i would i'll, I'll be i'll be real here i would love to talk honestly i don't know if gatherly does the best job at that i think there's a lot of work needed to be done on that front but as of today, like I said, we were talking about like verticalization and focus, right? As a startup, there's only so many things you can do well. You can either do one thing well or many things poorly, right? So right now, we're trying to really crush that virtual event segment and be the best option there is for what we do, right? From there, we're going to start. Then you can start expanding and branching out. Then I'd like to really enter that community space and start to offer things, right? Like I think the virtual community is amazing for stickiness. Unfortunately, that responsibility right now falls onto our event hosts, and they need to create that community. I'd love to be able to assist them with that, and I think that's where our customer discovery is headed. But none of our product, like I'll be honest with you, our product roadmap doesn't reflect that. At least for the next quarter or two, which is pretty much how far we plan out. The next quarter or two, we're still focused on letting eventos crush their virtual events and really, really be able to dominate that. Then once we answer that and have a checkbox there, that's when we start to expand to the next branch, so we can start to dominate the next segment, right? So I, I, I yeah, don't so mean to moment. I don't mean to cut off my mail, but here's the thing. I feel. That when you do such events, right? Do you have anything planned? Like, I let's just take an example of icebreaker question. It helps you yeah. start the initial conversation. I'm saying, even in the short run, you can have such things probably, which you know just helps people just start the conversation. Is that something that is that? I mean, in the back of the mind, you think, yeah, 
how can I also evolve or innovate such that Gatherly becomes more defining in building relationships between people who meet online too? Oh, absolutely. That's definitely in the in the back of our minds, right? Like whether it's features as simple as like trading business cards or whatever it might be, like how people like you know really not only connect but maintain that connection afterwards. I think that's something that's always in the back of my mind with product development. There, there is one key here, right? Like Gatherly is very, very visible to the end user, right? You sign to the platform, you use that, like you, you move around, it's great. There's a back end as well for the event host, right? And at the end of the day, one chooses the product, using the product, and like you know, hopefully coming back to the product, right? So our focus, at least for the next few quarters, is to really build that best experience possible for that event host so we continue getting chosen. It doesn't mean that we're ignoring the user side, right? Like remember, we're a B2B to C business. It doesn't mean you're ignoring the 2C part because if you don't, if we you know, suck at the 2C part, then the business isn't going to choose us, right? Like, like they're like, oh, it's going to be a value add to our, to our end users. So, you know, we have to play both very delicately. Right now, our product roadmap is just focusing on the event host because we believe that that's where we can add the most value. And we see so many problems there that we can solve for the event host. And as we continue to get chosen, right? So this is, this is the business strategy aspect of it. As we continue to get chosen by event host because we solve their problem specifically, we get exposed to more and more users. From there, we can aggregate that data, whether quantitative or qualitative, and put that into a product solution for the end users ultimately, right? So that's how we we really target, identify a mass user, mass um, mass amount of users, identify their problems, and solve those specific problems rather than you know like getting and checking, right? Nice, pretty nice because like that's something we're trying to like research upon, like building that stickiness and trying to uh, delve into that uh, like uh, relation between people. So now, now let's shift the like transition our conversation into more startup focus, like general startup focused than like, than like, uh, like our viewers and like our audience, like super enthusiastic about learning, learning from founders and stuff. So my next question would be, I have spoken to a couple of other gathering members. I think Carl, uh, is, is a member in your team, pretty dope guy. So where did you find your co-founders and what is the level of chemistry that you have with your co-founding team and like, like what do you cook together or what, what is the structure of the conversation that you have with your co-founders and like team members? Yeah. Well, you brought up Carl, so I can start with him. Um, Carl was the guy that I told, uh, told to about my middle school crushes and he's one where, uh, he's the one who comforted me when those middle school crushes didn't work out. I've known him since seventh grade. Um, and we, we've, we've been really good friends since we met in seventh grade. You know, he, he has all the, uh, the gossip on me, I suppose. Um, so that's one, another co-founder, Aman Parani. I've known him since second grade, right? So like, like these guys, like I've known forever. The last one is actually probably the most interesting. Um, Sohan from Georgia Tech. I've actually never met Sohan in person. Sohan and Carl have been really good friends through the, the, the Georgia Tech stamps program for quite some time. And I met him through Carl again, never met him in person because everything came virtual, but the relationship has been amazing, right? I, I haven't seen my co-founders in person in quite a while. Like Every now and then I'll have to like drop off documents. So I'll like swing, by, like, you know, swing by their place, pick up like, you know, documents or whatever. And that's like the extent of it. We don't have an office. Um, but I think we do a very good job of like connecting, right? Like actually right before this call, I was on the phone with them, just walking them through like what looks like in a, like what a round looks like. Here's the allocations. That's like, you know, the, the important stuff and just giving them the general update. Um, so, you know, I, I think for two of those, the relationship is really easy. I've known them forever, right? Like that's, you know, Amon and Carl second and uh, seventh grade respectively. For Zohan, I, and he's just a great guy. So like, you know, he makes it easy for me to have a great relationship with him by being just such like an open, friendly person that knows what he's doing, right? So I, I think he does, a, he does a very good job of making it so that the trust is there immediately, despite the fact that I've never met him in person. So props to him for that. So, so uh, 
what about like how do you make your first recruitment and mm. how's that going about what do you look for in in a, in a person when you especially in a startup when you, when you hire for a job obviously the qualification or the way the person looks at hiring someone is way different from that in a startup so what do you look for people when you're getting them on as even probably not as intern but for your full time position i i take the um, the analogy i use here is the the president choosing their vice president uh, analogy right like you think about it right like any presidential candidate really just like whether it's donald trump and mike pence for uh like you know joseph biden and uh, kamala harris they their vice president candidate is not a mirror image of them but a complete like the other side of it right like it's a 180 right like you choose somebody who has the qualities that you don't have so they add that to the team right and that's like the best analogy that i can give so with gatherly for example all our co-founders are really young right we're hungry we're motivated we're willing to work like you know 15 to 18 hours a day just to like get this thing going but we don't have that experience right so our first couple of hires are really looking for people who know the industry who know the processes who can bring some semblance of experience to the team and round that out so that's like the this very succinct answer i have to how do you what what qualities do you look for how you do that is a different question sourcing is really really difficult um you know i, I think my my co-founder carl he worked at a recruiting firm for a while right and he did a great job and just like learning everything there is about talent and like that so i'm i'm very blessed to have him on my team to to bring that like you know process and a little bit of experience with him but with that being said it's, it's a big challenge so if you know if, if people are looking for startup ideas hiring is a is a big problem um and you know there, there you go like i i'd love i'd buy your solution immediately if you have one nice that's pretty interesting that that's a another problem that like people working on startups that my face So now my next question would be like after recruiting since you if if you you're pouring the money with like your parents money or your friends and family's money because like those people who whom you hire need to be paid so what was the time when you decided it is now the right time for you to raise angel investment or series a or when funding so what was the structure of like the funding that you took and yeah so i think i think there's like a couple things here right so so our series pre-seed We were we were very fortunate to have a have a close family friend uh, invest in our series pre-seed. The reason we needed a series pre-seed was because remember this is a pivot company working hardware product hardware cost money to even build right like the prototypes cost money. Software it's like oh we'll pay the twenty bucks AWS costs and like call it a day like I can I can get out of the pocket you know. Um, but we we were very fortunate to have that pre-seed investor follow us through the pivot so we had money in the bank going into it right that was the first thing that enabled us to make our first couple of hires on our new product which was really nice. Then from there, the reason we decided to raise our Series C was mainly around this idea that like, hey, Gatley is doing really well. I, I believe we were cash flow positive at the time, so we were thinking like, you know, we don't really need to raise money, right? Like, we're doing very well in our sales. Costs are very low. It's a software business. Like, margins are like eighty-five, if not like ninety, ninety-five percent, right? Like, things are going very well. The main question for us was, do you want to have, and this is going to sound cheesy, do you want to have a survive or thrive situation? Gatherly isn't going to die anytime soon because we run out of cash or, or you know like or again margin software business right but that's just like the survive case right do you want to thrive add scale add people really expand this product and continue to add value to not just our customers but even more customers right that's why we decided to go into our round and say like hey we want to be able to add more value that's going to require even more talent that's going to require even more like you know software engineers that really be build scale up the product makes a lot of sense Makes a lot of sense. I I'll probably just transition to more general old uh old looking of this online community space and stuff. Yeah. Where do you think this will head in terms of like 
I feel with even like social media and uh, platforms like Reddit and Discord and where you have so many people, like thousands of people at times, millions on one channel or one subreddit. I find there being too many people at a place and there's more kind of, you know, disruption to conversation in the sense that there's no culture, cultured or uh, follow up conversation that you have where people really get lost at times and not everyone's interests are taken care of. So what do you think? Do you think that making smaller communities and more personalized communities, especially with, like you say, the online, uh, the virtual world rising and the way we're going to host ourselves in the coming years is going to rise in a more virtual way and there'll be a virtual option always. You think that's an interesting area to look at? And what do you think about that? It's interesting, right? This, this goes back to my earlier answer of that, like we're, we're focusing on crushing virtual events. So I haven't gotten as much free time to explore um, this, but I, I think it's it's really important what you bring up, right? Like that tracks really well to why we even built Gatherly in the first place, right? Like at a, at a larger scale. So you think like going back to this analogy, like there are 300 people on a call. You don't want to talk to all 300 people at once. You want to talk to five, maybe six, seven, right? The same way if you start to scale that idea up and you say, hey, like, there's a million people here. I don't want to talk to all a million. I want to talk to 50,000 or whatever, right? And narrow that in. I think like that, that is an interesting idea and that, that really nails it. And that's probably why Reddit is so successful. Like I, I do enjoy Reddit quite a bit because I can pick out communities where I, you know, like identify with the people, whether it's like, you know, like politics subreddits or like Marvel Studios, for example, to like geek out over the, the next like, you know, upcoming Marvel movie. I think those are communities that do that effectively. Uh, it has been interesting. Like, you know, I have a very, very, um, very, very uh, close friend who launched this amazing platform called Heartbeat, right? Um, former Georgia Tech guy, um, really, really great like mentor. And in fact, that's what I'll, I'll probably peg it as. Um, and he, he's diving into that, right? Like he, he dives into that problem of, hey, communities are thrown together right now rather than curated, right? And I think he's doing a good job of really identifying how to build virtual community. So, you know, I, like, I'd actually be happy to, to make a recommendation to, to bring him on the phone sometime because it sounds like you're very interested in, uh, in virtual community. So happy to make that intro. Um, but that, that's where I think like, you know, that's what I see happening. So yes, in short, I agree. That's, you know, that, that sort of principle and that sort of design thinking is probably what's going to be critical as, you know, we, we, uh, want to, like I said, curate rather than cobble together a, a community. That makes sense. So since that makes sense. So since you talked about, uh, Reddit and the various platforms that you on, don't you think like there's that level of like loss of personalization because like 10,000 people on a subreddit and like there are like say 100 people taking on the conversation and like the other 9,900 people are just like viewers who see all the spam that's coming in and everything that's... So why do you call that? Like I personally don't think Reddit is creating communities or like social media communities as such. They're basically like large forums where people can spam or maybe send anything that, that they want. What is your take on that? No, absolutely. I mean, look, I think Reddit is just the first iteration, right? Like, I, I've been I've been very closely following Dispo, for example, um, and how that's you know comparing to Instagram. Instagram was just the first iteration. Instagram's a fantastic product. It's not going away anytime soon. Uh, anytime soon, Mark Zuckerberg is going to make sure of that, right? But like, it doesn't mean that there can't be still market niches available, right? So I would view like the next iteration on Reddit similar to the Dispo on on Instagram sort of like type, right? Or like Clubhouse on you know like podcasts, for example, right? Like, there's so many niches that people don't think about and I frequently look at them and I'm like, man, like that's really clever. Like, I wish I thought of that. Right. So, um, I like what you guys are bringing up. Like, yeah, I think, I think Reddit is the, the first step in building a community. 
the next step is going to be like what we've been talking about with curation, right? Narrowing that down into like personalization. You know, the benefit of Reddit is you get this nice anonymization of like who you are, right? Whether that's, you know, sometimes used for trolling and other illicit activities, which is unfortunate, but you also get this like other, you know, benefit where it's like, oh, like because I'm anonymized, I can come out of my shell. So, you know, Reddit's really great for that. Does that mean there's space for the next like, you know, like type of like iteration of Reddit? I think absolutely so, right? Oh, that was amazing. Like, thank you so much, Christopher, for taking the time. It really means a lot. I think we had an amazing conversation about gatherly and startups in general. Thank you so much.